You're listening to the Names Not Numbers podcast, the annual ideas festival produced by Editorial Intelligence. The comedian, writer and mental health campaigner Ruby Wax in conversation with the film producer, editor and activist Jemima Khan. Hi, Ruby. I don't think Ruby really needs me to introduce her, but we all know her as a comedian and television presenter and writer, and it's in her new incarnation that we know her less as mental health campaigner and, in your own words, as a recovered ruminator (laughs) after writing this book, Sane New World. Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Hi, Ruby. Hi. Um, It's a really hopeful book. book. Yeah, well done. (laughs) (laughs) I read this book, and it's incredibly hopeful, because what it's basically saying is everyone can change and find the calm and sanity that we all look for in life. Are there any exceptions to that rule? (laughs) Well, if you don't want to do that, then then don't buy the book. (laughs) I mean, you have the choice. And also, I'm I'm being a little flippant by saying this is the manual. It's just that I, I came out before and said, why isn't there a manual? Yes. In, you know, for how to, because everybody seems as if they know how to deal with everything. And then when you really break them down at two in the morning, they go, I don't know, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. So I was curious, and I had, well, you want to ask me questions, I don't want to take up Just your time. Just take it away. Uh, <laughs> Well, why don't you talk about your own mental health issues? Let's just <laughs> I think let's just talk about your lowest I think point first. I think yours because are I think it helps everyone. <laughs> I think we'd all we like to know about long. Jemima's mental health issues. <laughs> <laughs> you talk in your book about nearly half of all people on incapacity benefits in the UK that account that's accountable to mental illness. So. Can you talk about your own... Well, yeah, yeah. But the, the point is, the reason I wrote this book is because I did a show uh, that I toured around for the last five years, and I only did that show because... Well, do you want me to give the background? Yeah. Comic Relief, in their infinite goodness, uh, put, were giving some of their money to UK charities for mental health, so they said, could they take my photo? You know, they always like this woman, you know. Yes. <laughs> And so, <laughs> hustle you. And so you do. So I thought nobody would see the picture, but they put the poster of me all over the tube stations, and it said on it, this is, and imagine my surprise, one in four people has mental illness, one in five people gets better, one in five people have dandruff, I have both. <laughs> Thanks, Emma, for I could, Yeah, I could only <laughs> hurl myself th- in front of, so I thought, you know what, and this is serious, I'm going to write a show, and I'm going to make that look like it's my publicity poster. Hmm. Jewish? <laughs> so then I wrote the show. I wrote the show. That's the only reason I wrote it. And then I did it in mental institutions for two years, my people, and I, I talked about it in the show. <laughs> that uh, I think they liked it. I couldn't tell. They weren't always facing me. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> and then the show... And then the show went to different countries. Then it left the institutions, which was a heartache. But it went to Australia, <laughs> America. And then there would be discussions, just like there would be in the mental inst- which were the most wonderful questions. Like, how do you get a poltergeist out of a radiator? You can't talk that. <laughs> so, but then anyway, there was with normal yeah. people, there would be question and answer. And everybody, wherever I went around the world, would ask similar questions. That they felt crazier than crazy people. And that their minds were in this kind of frenzy. Friends, even people who weren't busy, felt busy. And it was such a common theme that I thought, oh, well, okay. I'm going to research this and come up with 
the man, you know, for everybody, not just the people with dandruff, that it would be, and so I'd call it, say, New World, and so I went and studied um, what exactly, where are we as far as our brain, because I don't like fluffy stuff. Mm. I thought, let's get right in the meat. Yeah, because mindfulness sounds like a spiritual practice, but you're not religious, right? You're not. Uh, well, I didn't go for the mindfulness. I went because I was studying to be, you know, women, when they're about to have menopause, decide to go to study therapy, <laughs> because, you know, they know men aren't going to hit them on them again, so they think, well, let's give back. <laughs> That's their moment. It must be so weird as somebody having you as their therapist walking in. Well, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't become a therapist. I, for, I you just, did. I thought you trained for, as a psychologist. I did. No, as a psychotherapist. psychotherapist. But every week you got a smorgasbord of who the great shrinks were. And I, you know, I adored the stories. Especially Winnicott, who said that it was enough to be a good enough mother, which made me feel better, you know, when I used to feed my kids out of bowls of milk. <laughs> you know, it's such a relief to know it's, you know, we have imperfections. And then they said, well, you have to now be a therapist. And that came as a total shock. So I did 200 hours. Uh, I worked at the Women's Trust, by the way, who, and these women came from climes where they never heard of me. And I thought, I have the nerve to sit here. That's a problem. Um, and so I thought, I, I'm not an angel. I can't do this. So then I thought, well, I'm really interested in the brain mm. because times have moved on. They can look in and see a live brain. When I went to Berkeley, it was a corpse. Mm. So, it was, so now they can look in. I thought, I've got to find out what's going on. And it's only been 10 years since you could actually get in it in mm. a thinking brain. So that's when I got obsessed. I don't know. I got obsessed with seeing how we think. And I don't know why everybody else isn't too, you know. Mm. All those conversations you had when you were 18, who am I? Carve a brain open. That's the mm. answer. I thought it was really interesting about the three brains. What is it? The reptile, oh. the, the pre-mammalian. Yeah. yeah. Well, the only reason I'm interested is because in a sense, you want to know that we all have the same plumbing. And we do. And so it really mm. does make you uh, feel for other, I can sort of, you can sort of, it's, it's as if your car broke down on the motorway, rather than screaming for AA or a shrink at two o'clock in the morning, it's you kind of know where all the machinery is, so uh, it might not be so daunting. Mm. So of course, so does, does that mean, now I want to know really how sorted you are now. I mean, in terms of, because I asked you the other day about how, whether you're, I asked Ruby the other day about whether she is happier on balance now after doing this whole kind of journey of learning about neuroscience and self-discovery, and you said that you're very suspicious of the word happy. Yeah, people Explain. do say about happy, and I said, well, in certain countries, it means having a pair of shoes. <laughs> so, you know, ask everybody in this room. It would really, really be a waste of oxygen. So that's semantics. I mean, do you prefer what you prefer, the word contented or I don't calm want any or word, what, what, you know. Or, or better then. Well, a word... Because otherwise, we're not going to buy... You've got to sell your book. But I, <laughs> the, book isn't called, the book isn't called How to Find Happiness. Okay, so okay, there is the, a, How there, to Find Sanity? There is... These are, these are just constructs. Yeah. So let's let that one go. And part of the reason I Can't. think we're screwed up is people are looking for this uh, thing called happiness and they'll pay any kind of money for it. Mm. So in my mind, well, because... It's a, it's a kick, it's a high. It's like having the first puff of a cigarette. The unfortunate thing, you know this with when you get it, no, is don't. you got, you do. <laughs> you gotta keep getting no. better and better men, better and better sex, better and better, you know, hits, better and better I outfit. don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. Well, <laughs> so, so happiness what? is a good kick, but the problem is, is that you can't, our systems just don't stay at that level. Mm. So I 
to me, the word happy is dangerous because then people say, well, I'm happy. Are you not happy? How happy are you? It's yet another thing to compare ourselves. Okay, so what's the ultimate objective of all of this, of mindfulness? What, 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 are you, what are you aiming for? What do you hope that people who read this book will come out of it being able to have mastered? Well, nothing. I just hope they buy it and I get the no, money. No, it's not about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking deal. That's not true. She doesn't mean that. She said... <laughs> no, when you're writing... Really, I can't believe I'm trying to sell your book for you. This, to shut off your mind is... You said a state of being is to experience something without added commentary. And as somebody who has a terrifying second voice at all times in my life, that's what interests me about the book. Mm. That's yeah, why yeah. you wrote the book. I know, no, I, I, but I, I wasn't trying to give, you know, here's humanity my gift. By the All way, I, the bit that really made me feel good about your book, because I really, really hate public speaking, was <laughs> this bit. An audience can always feel your fear and for some evolutionary reason turns hostile, howling like animals, baying for blood. It must be some primitive instinct that when someone is failing in front of a large group of people, they, as a gaggle, go in for the kill. <laughs> Maybe really confident. <laughs> They can smell anyway, your so fear. my inner voice is really having a well, good time. Well, that was another thing is that the audience also said, beside the busy, that they had the inner voice or the inner thought that was so critical, which, you know, and I've never had a thought, as I'm sure, that said, what a wonderful thing I'm doing, and may I say how attractive I am today. Yeah. Never had it. <laughs> never had it. Does anyone? Do people? There might be a few, but don't go Anyone near in them. the audience have that voice? Anybody just get up anyone feeling Anyone put your great? hand up in the audience if you ever have a second voice going, you're marvelous. Yeah, it would be a psychopath. You do? Yeah. Okay, psychopath in the second row, third from the left. No, anyway, I'm sure it can, but I think people who live in cities... Okay, but don't bother reading this book, if that's okay. I think if you live in, the, in, in this town, uh, you know, and you never come out of your house, you might be okay. No, I mean, I, I, I'm talking about people in big cities, okay? I don't live in the middle of uh, France somewhere, so I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah. So, the, you know, and everyone I met in those audiences seemed to have a similar complaint. And, and you talk about in so, the book... So before yeah. I got to the how you do this or what you do, I took the information from my great professors, and because they only write academia, I translated it into comedy, because that's mm. pretty much all I can do. And they don't mind that I steal their material, because they don't, nobody understands them. So in a way, <laughs> I'm a trans... And actually, this is really accessible. Well, I, I know to how say. to translate into, if you make it funny, people can swallow it. Yeah, and, and does that make it easier to sell a serious point, do you think, comedy? To, oh, yeah, if you make somebody laugh, then they're, they're kind of, it's for, that's foreplay. I like you saying humour comes from shock followed by relief expressed by a barking noise. <laughs> That's when they do that, <laughs> like animals. But it's a surprise, a la laughing. You know, when they, there's an, you think the guy's going to die from you know, falling over, but then there's, he doesn't fall over, and so it's kind of a half scream. Yeah. But that's why I love studying this stuff, because you know, nobody went on a weekend for how to heal your inner elf. Hmm. that actually they can look in a brain and see and scan and understand what the mechanisms are. Now, that was, the, to me, the enlightening stuff. The course was also called, um, because I was so sick of, um, you know, getting into spins myself. And again, as I say, the book is not about depression. And this is not why people study neuroscience, but I just wanted to understand, is there a way we can self-regulate those chemicals? Because the voices are the chemicals. There's no Fuhrer up there shouting, pick up your towel. That mm. sounds like my mother. There's nobody up there. So when you do crack it open and you do see that uh, there isn't anybody, it's a, all we are is a, 
uh, I'm just going to upset the Mormons, 100 billion neurons, and between each one is a little gap, sending chemicals. And if you understand, that's pretty much what we are. I mean, the, the genes give you the blueprint mm -hmm. in your brain, but how you, it's like a deck of cards, but how you play them is up to you. Mm -hmm. And this concept of neuroplasticity, which, by the way, isn't something somebody made up last week, mm. I, I don't know why it's not shouted from the rooftops, because mm. you're, if you don't have the genes for Einstein, you're not going to get there. But mm. you do have a lot of, um, there's a lot of elbow room. Mm. You know, the brain, if it really concentrates on something, you know, can develop. It's just like doing sit-ups, and you can't get a six-pack after one sit-up. So, uh, can a, a, a sick mind think itself healthy? I mean, that... Define sick. If you have Alzheimer's, it's no. But let's say for age, they used to think there was a decline. There isn't. If you keep that mind curious and active... I don't want to get too technical. No, do. We like it. Technical? Okay. Yeah, go on. I Show can go off. many different ways. <laughs> I'm not, you know, again, I'm translating, and I found yeah. it so interesting. It's so interesting. that The, the more curious and the more, the more you educate yourself, not when it's rammed down your throat, but when you really are on, those neurons grow other neurons, and when the forest is really dense, that's when you're most alive. And now that can be it when you're 80. Mm. And if you start doing the same thing day in, day out, your view of the world gets smaller and smaller. And actually, people at 30, do, you know, you fall into a habit and start to think, well, your, your view of the world is everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And it isn't. Our minds are bigots. So we really have to work. Ask me what happiness is, is when your view is open. And I don't, don't judge you for who you appear to be at first. Mm -hmm. Because we don't see each other for the first time. If I see you, I'm holding you kind of hostage to who you remind me of. So mm -hmm. if you can kind of open that, and that is by growing neurons and not holding you to just, you know then I have um, a much wider lens, and that's happiness. Mm -hmm. That I might say, you, you're the type I don't like, but then when you get to me and I find out, gee, you know, I've done this to people. Some DJ was mm -hmm. interviewing me, and I thought, oh, he's just, you know. So I started, you know, when you just speed talk, and it wasn't going anymore, and I realized my heart was going too fast, and I wasn't make, you know, I was now going for him, because that's my default. You know, go for the animal well, before he goes for me. <laughs> but I, I, I try not to. I can feel it. Yeah. You know, we all have our theme tunes. So what do you do? So I went to the bathroom, which is really good on live radio. And I just, <laughs> really good. There was a real pause. And I just, you know, I, there is a way of getting your cortisol down. Everybody will have their own way. But What's the great no thing way? is, well, first of all, that I know it's up. Before, I'd get faster and faster and faster and leave saying, that guy was an asshole. I brought it on, okay? That's the first thing. Again, we work like neural Wi-Fi. If I'm all hyped up, you'll get hyped up, he'll get hyped up, and it'll pass right through so the world. So what will you do in this scenario? You know when but you're on me, stage, you, you said you... Yeah, go on. When I went back in, I was cooler. That guy was cooler. I just went... To, and then it turns out, uh, I said, well, what do you do when you're not a DJ? And it turns out he was on TED Talks, and he's a mathematical genius. <laughs> so screw you. I thought I was so smart. Mm -hmm. You know, by the end, I was like this and asking him questions. Mm -hmm. So another lesson. You know? But but you said, you talked in your book about being on stage and having stage fright and having the second voice kick in saying, you're useless, you're failing. In those moments, what is your technique for dealing with that? Right. 
So, you know, how can, what I'm really asking is how can mindfulness and the techniques that you describe in right. your book help in the situation where you feel your anxiety levels mm. increasing or you feel, or maybe, you know, on the, on the brink of a row or in those yeah. moments when you need it, what is the kind of practical way right. that you use these techniques? Or is that read the book? <laughs> no, it isn't read the book. But uh, the reason the book is written in that order, it's, it's really important before you get into a technique to understand how the machine works. Mm. So rather than saying, and this is what you do, you sit... You know, it's the only reason I went into that is because I did a lot of research on how to self-regulate. And it happened to be, it could have been hugging a tree. I probably wouldn't have done it, but I wanted to know where are the best results in brain scanners, in brain journals. What has the best results for preventing or, or dealing with OCD, trauma, depression, mm. um, obesity, whatever. And when I looked it up, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy came out winning. Yeah. I didn't know what that stuff was. I thought it was really interesting. Is the angry man still here who wanted facts from earlier? <laughs> the man in the love lecture, is he still here? Yes, the angry man. This book has a lot of statistical <laughs> evidence. There's a whole chapter on it. You're going to love it. <laughs> Oh, all right, give him some. Tell him why the, the cognitive, the med, what, what, what's the well, name of it? Co C, what do you call it? MBCT. Yeah. Okay, well, j just let me give you a little background. You know, the reason we are, and I'm not blaming the world, you know, people go, oh, this is why we're such a mess. It's global warming, it's this, whoever the enemy is. I don't know who they are anymore. They change every half an hour. It's because there's something out there, right? The bully isn't out there, it's in here that there's a conflict in our minds and we can't change anything until we declare a truce in here. And what's going on in here is that we're addicted to the chaos, okay? The dopamine levels that you needed when you were back in the bush, you know, to protect you from the predator, it now never cools down because we're bombarded by bad news day and night. Okay, so we just have to understand, I really like to know why am I in this state? Why can I never just do one email that I need to do? Why am I answering spam? You know, understand? <laughs> why is it, why everything I do? But it turns out that everybody kind of has their little <laughs> obsession. And so I wanted to know w what's going on, not in the world, but what's going on in us that was different maybe 100 years ago. So the dopamine that really was good when we were back 100,000 years ago because it made us forage and do forward planning for nuts or whatever. Now, if I buy a pair of shoes, it's not enough. There's another shop, so I'm already hunting for other shoe-rich environments. And it could yeah. be work, it could be love, it could be sex or whatever. We don't, none of us have a braking system but anymore. So that's your, your... So that's why I wanted to find some means that I could see not to become more spiritual, but to understand when I was tipping. That was my dissertation, actually. When are you in flow, you know, which is the best humans are, you know, when we're creating. And when do we push ourselves too far? And now, what's it, it's got to, when are we starting to go toward burnout? I find that really interesting. And how can we pull back? This isn't to veg out. This is just to understand when am I, when am I at my top of my game and when am I starting to compare myself with her? Because oh, she's got don't. five kids in my mind. She knows how to make <laughs> cupcakes and she jogs at three in the morning. Why should that bother me? It does. So, I wanted to find some way of cooling my engines. This isn't gonna work for everybody. I can't stand yoga, you know, and I know other people, I don't know what the point is of being able to kiss your ass from both directions. <laughs> so, so just, just the mechanics of mindfulness-based cognitive, which, which again is not what the book's about, it's just at the end, and then I give other examples if it's not for you, is that um, basically, let's just, let's just say, in this age, we have no way of, we have no, very few of us have a 
have any way to find repose. You know, they used to have prayers. They used to maybe have communities where you'd feel safe, or I make a joke and say, you'd have like an old grandmother, but now, because surgery is so great, you can't tell who's an elder. <laughs> but, um, but, but we don't have that, or I don't have it. I have no family. You know, we, we live desperate lives. So I can't usually get my machinery down. What mindfulness does, forget the word, is that it teaches you, I'll just break it down, to pay attention. Okay, to, your focus is like a muscle, and it's not a commodity we really have right now. And when you don't have focus, your mind is scattered, and sometimes you get caught in rumination. We all do. Now we have to understand this brain was made for problem solving, for cognitive, it's brilliant. But for emotional, it's a waste of airtime. And now I think a Harvard research said 50% of our lives are spent day mind wandering, and it doesn't make us any happier. So now you have a choice with something like cognitive therapy or mindfulness. So it, you're, it's not a great big white light, you're not gonna meet Oprah. Uh, what, you, what it actually does, and people say, what's with attention? Okay, so look at, you know, how you look in the mirror and think, did I just have a life? Or, you know, you drive somewhere and think, how did I get here? So we all have this. So with mindfulness, you learn, okay, I can tell my mind's all scattered, okay? But rather than run away and get even busier and busier, because that's what we do, it's sort of like you know something bad is coming, so you have more dinner parties and find more people who like you, you actually learn to focus in Recognize that you're a mess. You know, you, you watch the bombardment. The minute you focus in, the minute you witness it, neurons are unwiring. You're trying to break a habit. When you notice that you smoke a cigarette, that's when the changes. If you do you it unconsciously. just the recognition. It moves on from that. I'm just saying the first step is just notice, okay? Now that's so hard I can't even tell you, but you know, you doesn't, you duck it. Everybody wants an instant pill. You ain't getting one, okay? So first you learn, now you recognize the amygdala's up. That's, what, that's why your mind's up here. You don't have to see a shrink and find out why or what your father did. If you were gonna take a temperature of your cortisol, it's up at 10. And now they're teaching kids in school, actually, to learn how to self-regulate using different ways. Because mm. I think this is the zeitgeist. I liked your red card or green oh, card. Oh, kids I think in that school now, so they can learn where they are. When they know they're having a hiss, I'm jumping around. When they know they're having a hissy fit, they hold up a red card, and nobody's allowed within six feet. And when they feel their levels coming down, because it is a visceral feeling, they hold up a yellow card. And when they're back at happiness or flatline or they're all there, they hold up a green card. That might be the key to marriage. That's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Well, Do you, uh, I'll give you I'm the green married. card. <laughs> you are. Yeah. We don't even look at each other. <laughs> so um, that's the key to mine. Uh, um, no, but uh, I, yeah, go yeah. So this is how they're teaching kids. So the first thing is to know how fucked are, up are you. Now the next bit is, and this is the really hard part, when you see where you are, and I'll, I'll tell you um, physiologically what does happen, is that a real glitch in all of us is when you notice the state of all of our minds is we usually give ourselves a whipping and animals don't even do this. We get stressed about stress and we get angry about anger. So it's like the first arrow wasn't enough. We have to sling it again. And I didn't say this, but somebody did, and I think it's wonderful. They said, pain is pain, but suffering is optional. Mm. So um, You did say something like that in your book. I'm going I to know, quote I you stole to you it. about no, the No, I ouch. said somebody else said it. What? Pain is the ouch, and suffering is the story about it. God, I'm such a swat. <laughs> did I say that? Uh, yeah, you did. Well, anyway. I'm quoting so, you to you. I know. <laughs> I was probably asleep when I wrote it. <laughs> um, so now the technique of it, if you want me to say it, is, uh, 
and this, you got to do it um, <laughs> a couple of times a day, is when you notice your amygdala is up, if you send your focus, and this is, you're actually, it's just a trick. If you send your focus to one of your senses, like, and please go along with me on this, I'm not holding up wind chimes, to one of your feelings, oh, I'm, I was always looking at him, like uh, smell or taste or sound or touch. When you send your, 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 your focus to that, and that's not easy, the amygdala automatically goes down. Now, it won't stay down, but the recognition that you can't be in a thinking sense and a sensing sense in mm. the same time is already interesting. And they can watch what happens in a brain scanner even after you've done it a few times. Mm. The car can't be in two gears the at once. The car can't be in two gears at once and yeah. you can drive it. Yeah. So that's the practice, really, is, is, is you don't have to sit in lotus position, but just if you're at a bus stop and looking at your watch isn't going to make it any faster and you recognize, oh, I see, I'm in... I'm in seven or whatever, mm. rather than getting even angrier at the bus. And don't think I don't. <laughs> I'm the first one howling for Do the bus. Do you take a bus? Or the uh, airplane to land. <laughs> the taxi, you mean. Or I mean, why aren't I being upgraded? <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know, when you're turning reptilian. <laughs> is it for a minute, if you just for a second, maybe, um, you don't, don't say go, you know, if you repress it, it'll come back a thousand times harder. If for a couple seconds you could just maybe feel the weather on your face just for a couple seconds or when I'm doing I'm standing on stage if I can start to feel fear I send my focus to my feet on the ground yeah. they can't tell but it sort of it sort of divides my attention but can you still entertain if you're yeah you're it? still talking it's like when somebody's getting um <laughs> somebody's getting angry at you um I can't always do it and it's catching again like that neural wi-fi is sometimes just because it tunes into a sense you just stare at their um pick up something on their face, like their nose or something, it still looks like you're looking at them, but your heart starts to go down. Or just listen to them. Would you like me to no, speak? No, no, but if you're, listening, if you're listening just to sound, your heart goes down. Even for a split second, that already yeah. means you're driving the car, it's not driving it. Mm. And again, like a sit-up, if you practice it a few times a day, that insula gets stronger and stronger and stronger, which you can see in a brain scanner. And eventually, you're not going to sit down there and veg out. Instead of 40,000 things I have to do every day, I've got, I'm down to uh, 39,999. That's as far as you get. Mm. But it's the one time when you know, I, my instinct is to get scared. But just for a second, I might mm. be able to cool the engine long enough to be able, now, again, you're back to the Neuro, neuroscience mm. is that I'm I'm not the I'm not reacting from the limbic brain, which is a very, an ancient brain which I still have, but it has time to get to the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that that rehearses mm. before it speaks. I found it much better. The mindfulness technique we discussed the difference between mantra-based meditation yeah, well. and mindfulness. And for me, I was given a mantra, and to, I just kept repeating an extremely angry. I kept hearing a very angry woman speaking to me in Yiddish over and over again. But your word was Yiddish. But your word was Yiddish. Yeah, she it got was. her I mantra can't was say what it was. You're not allowed to say, but it was. Have a nagila. Come on, figure it out. Anyway, but I found the mindfulness technique much, much more useful. But okay, here's a question. But if is it isn't for you, but if it isn't for you, the whole point is don't give yourself a whipping. Yeah, and say, then that's another reason to have a second voice going. Useless. You yeah. can't do it. Um, but uh, mental illness. <laughs> this is a question from Adrian Gill, who's in the audience. 
Is it culturally dictated? His view is that Japanese culture is only explained by mass depression. So what so I'm what asking culture? you is, you Japanese culture, but you said earlier, my people, and I, I know you meant mentally ill people, but you're also Jewish, so I wanted to ask, are Jews more neurotic? Are certain cultures more programmed to be, you know, have a propensity to depression? Or is it, I mean, discuss. <laughs> I don't know Japanese people. Well, Adrian I'm, can comment on it, because he's very sure that the Japanese predicament is all about depression. I think there's a lot of different things, like, mm. you know, people say, if comedians are de depressive, I say, well, do all weather girls get uh, leukemia? I don't think your insides know what your outside does for a living. But it's the, the, um, the uh, numbers are one in four. That's globally. Globally. That's globally. It, and it's been since Greece. It hasn't shown up last week. <coughs> they used go, to Adrian. burn you at the stake. Now they give you medication. You know, it's just as much as a disease as Alzheimer's. That ain't new on the market either, but we never lived that long. And you wouldn't say to somebody with Alzheimer's, come on, you can remember, where's the keys? <laughs> so with depression, it's a, it's a real brain Adrian disease. might. Of course he would. <laughs> of course he would. I think would. we've got to ask questions. Have we got to do the Q&A with the audience now? Sorry, I I'm hope nodding. I made it clear, but let me just say, if it's not for you, then what I did at the end was say, here's some other things going on. Yeah, you can't remember any of that because I asked you earlier. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tried to get, like, if it's not for you, you know, and don't forget, Try there's this. some people who swim, uh, who, who are garden, and they do it automatically, or athletes are really trained to pay attention. So they have a focus, so that when they're about to go down that ski slope, they're not thinking, where did they leave their, you know, Ferrari or whatever. But um, people are trained in attention, it's just that it's gonna be a new way of doing a self, bringing down your own chemicals, when you need to. If you need to jack up, jack up all you want, but when, when that's American for hype. Okay. I'm not saying wank. Not saying, oh, I um, thought you meant. <laughs> no, I wasn't telling you. Oh, jack up. Jack up. Oh, really? It? I don't think. I don't Maybe know. I'm saying jack up. <laughs> okay. All right. Don't or jack take up. medication. Don't jack up. But, but questions, can we, uh, yeah, someone there with his hand up? Here, her? I can't even tell if it's a man or a woman. No, there's nothing to do with you. The light wasn't on you. Um, I was quite interested in your point about do whether readers get leukemia and sort of pertaining to comedians, because what you have in abundance is you, Ruby, is soft skills which is your brain is constantly looking for patterns and new things and associations. And that's w presumably why the neurons are all firing like crazy in you. Um, whereas people with hard skills like virtuoso violinists, their job is to basically retread the same neural path over and over again until they've got those notes in sequence and it's perfect. And then they just regurgitate it on stage, not to you know put down virtuoso violinists, but... Um, do you feel that that's some of the problem that you can run into and why there are the kind of cliches about comedians with depression or tears of a clown in the old days where if, you, if you're that kind of comedian who's not just doing the same routine every time but you're thinking on your feet, it has to be in the moment. You have to work the room and find all those things that you can key into in that moment. When you stop and you come off stage, uh, those neurons must still be hungrily looking for stuff to work on. And is that, do you think, part of... Well, you know, happens? the ones, the people that come out the best for the uh, kind of uh, most uh, um, branches of neurons the very are taxi drivers because they have to map. They have to, so they're using different spatial things in their head. I think, yes, you're right, a violinist is growing that real estate where the fingering is up there. Um, but a comedian is also 
look, I don't know. I don't know when they look in the brains of a comedian, so it's not. I would say that, uh, yes, thinking on their feet, but it's also a very narcissistic, very narrow view of the world of uh, you're doing it for one reason only, and that's to get feedback. You know, it's a, narcissist, it's a narcissistic loop. Hmm. I, I would well, say... Easy, is it, sorry, but well, it could be that you're a real observer of life, and then yes, but you could also be an observer of life and be a gardener. You know, it just depends how peripheral your vision is. I mean, they say when people are old, their vision gets more and more narrow. Again, if they're aware of that and they start to spread it out, at the end of the show I say, that's what, that's what atrophy is. Mm. You know, so they, they should change their route home, change their friends. Parachute out of an airplane, they're old. What's the worst that can happen? Should we take so, another question? I don't now it's think it's a discussion between you two. Let's I have another I question. I think I might have different skills, but I, there's areas I should, be, I should be exercising this brain. Otherwise, I'll really get caught. Well, I think by going to school, I did exercise a part of my brain that wasn't exercised. Right, pipe down while we have a second question. <laughs> there. Hi, Stevie Spring. Um, do you think the statistic of one in four means that the other three are undiagnosed <laughs> or self-regulating automatically without even thinking about it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I know that when they say one in four, they really mean, but I haven't gone around, they mean a mental disease. There are numbers for... I don't know, there must be numbers for people that have breast cancer. There must be numbers for people that are in car crashes. I don't know why there's such an apprehension to say there is something called mental illness. So I don't know about the other three, but th that one has the real thing. And there isn't a, I don't think it's a sliding scale like you're sad or somebody died. That's on the human palate. But when you're mentally ill, I don't know how often to say, you're a piece of lead, you're not creative, you're not in, it doesn't help your life. You're dead on the floor and you wait till this thing passes. Mm. I think that some of the stigma is that it passes because when you have cancer, you have cancer. But that's the nature of the disease. So it goes in and out, do? but so does herpes. What is the <laughs> What's the advice you have for people who are going through that? Take medication, if they have the real thing, take medication. Because you have the, it's not perfect because otherwise there'd be no relapse, but it's all we've got. Chemo's not too accurate either. But if you really have bipolar, don't fuck around. Because you may have a good time when you're high, but eventually you're going to set your house on fire. So it is a mental disorder. Why mm. would you not take medication? Anyone else? You. Sorry. Yes. Gray t-shirt. Sure. Am I talking to? How does it? Oh, we're over in five minutes. How does it map onto therapy? <laughs> how does it? How does it map onto you know onto psychiatry? Because about the, the the good thing about psychiatry was that it was also a critique of society that you know you are the, the mental illness can take place because society is fucked up, not just because of you. And is 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 there a danger this this just becomes a mechanism for coping with a fucked up society? That's very Langian, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't come from that school. I come, you know, <clears throat> if you look in a brain, you'll see, you can start to see Alzheimer's. You can see almost schizophrenia. In two, they're already with men now. They're giving a saliva test. They have depression. 
it forgets society. You know, back in the Renaissance, back, you know, in Greece, back, back, it was always thus. Except people got it much, at, at much older and they didn't live that long. But now, and I don't know the reason, it's, getting, it's, a, it's kicking in with younger and younger kids. And now you could see it at 13. Before you could only see it when they were 60, in the 50s. But then they were dead, so you couldn't tell it was episodic. It'd be so good if you could screen brains for narcissism, solipsism. Wouldn't I that could, be good? I could screen my boyfriends before I go out with them. <laughs> anyway, go on. There'd be a lot of neurons firing. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. I'm sorry I'm so obsessed with this stuff. I'm so, you know. No, I love it. I, okay. Yeah, the cinema's full. Gentlemen in glasses. Yeah. Hi. Health. Okay. David Lammy, MP for Tottenham. Um, <laughs> there, there is now more and more evidence that there are more mental health issues amongst younger and younger people. Um, I was at a pupil referral unit um, in, a, in a city area not so long ago, not my own constituency. Um, where the staff were talking about the amounts of young people presenting with deep stress and mental health. I just wondered if you touched on that in the book or what you think that is down to, in a sense. You, just one thing. In my day, there wasn't cutting, so there's a new phenomenon. The way... Look, I, I don't want to speak cliché, but if, if you push my kid, which they did at 15, and her dopamine levels, the first thing... The second thing that happens when, when too much adrenaline and the amygdala is up too high is that, I'm sorry, to, I don't want to sound like a wanker, but I find it really, there's something where your memory is stored, your hippocampus, that burns out first. It can't take all those stress chemicals. Now, put it together. When you're taking an exam and you're pushing too hard or you're working 72 hours, what do you think goes down first? And you've experienced it. You know, when you get really nervous and you get the dry mouth and the thing, it's your cortisol, if you took your heartbeat. So now they're teaching kids, and it is in schools. Before an exam, they have them sit and feel the ground for five minutes. Their cortisol comes down, everything functions, okay? So if you push the kid, I did, I did the, um, the, the speech at Herodian where my kids went. And my kids, you called yeah. it paradise for the average. That was upsetting. <laughs> paradise for the mundane. <laughs> They are, and, and I did the speech, and I said, well, congratulations, you got all your kids with the A stars, not mine, all your kids, and, and that's fantastic. Call me when they're 50 years old, and they're in a mental institution, okay? <laughs> well, all the kids clap, but the teachers kind of... <laughs> I said, you've burned, you've burned your child's brain out, okay? You're going to see the repercussions of this. You know, and the smartest always went the furthest, and now the sm smartest end up the psychopaths, you know, the ones that, the CEOs you know, made off and whatever. So we're seeing a real twist in what that kind of stress does. Mm, that's it, it. It burns you out. Yeah. We're done. I'm getting nodded at. Oh, we... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> this podcast was produced by Sarah Peters for Editorial Intelligence. With thanks to Vodafone, FT Weekend, CNN, GQ and all the partners and participants who made and make Names Not Numbers possible. Thank you for listening. <laughs>